0: It's uh, great to be here. I probably am closer to the beta version, you know, the one that wasn't quite ready to go to market yet. Uh, But nevertheless, uh, here I am, and I want to encourage you to take your Bibles or your apps, uh, iPhones. Uh, I really want you to get your eyes on this text because it's considered to be one of the most difficult texts in Scripture, not the only one, Uh, but there's lots of times where we're confronted with understanding the difficult words of Jesus. Um, We have to understand the context and the situation sometimes to get a little bit of clarity, as as well as to have some help, and that's kind of the category. In fact, the way I would describe this text is I don't know if you've ever had a night like this. You know, you have a, a rough day, a lot of stress, a lot of things going on, And tomorrow doesn't promise to be any better. And you just got an inkling that tomorrow is going to be at least as challenging as today. And you know that in order to confront tomorrow, you need some sleep. So, you know, you go to bed and you lie in bed and you've got these thoughts racing through your mind. And, you know, you just you end up going, stop thinking, stop thinking, sleep, sleep sleep. and You know, the, the more you try to force yourself to relax, the more anxiety and tension begins to overwhelm you. And so, you know, you get tired, you get frustrated, and uh, you know that at any moment, uh, because you're already exhausted, the sun's going to come up, it's going to be dawn, and finally you look over at the clock and it's half past midnight. <clears throat> I mean, the night really hasn't even started. And so you go, you know, you go back uh, into, you have got to go to sleep. You have got to get some rest. You need some peace. And it's kind of like the, the more you do that, the more elusive it becomes. And it becomes a long night. Now, the disciples are at the beginning of a long night. And, you know, you and I, we sometimes, and I, I think, you know, it's one of the things I think I might have shared with this church years ago when we moved overseas into an area that was in genocidal conflict in civil war. Uh, one of the national pastors told me, we're, we're really glad you Americans come to help us out in the work, work but there's, there's something we have against you. There's something that you're weak in. And I said, well, you know, what, what is it? And he said, well, he said, you from America, you have no adequate theology of suffering. And I thought, what? He said, you, he said we suffer. Suffering is as is much of the part of, of life as the grain is <coughs> in a wood. It is, it is part of life. And so our people understand uh, how God works in our lives through the lens of suffering. I thought, well, That hardly even didn't make sense, even though we had the same scripture. And Jesus kind of begins in chapter 16 here in the text that you guys looked at last week with Pastor Chris by saying, there's a lot of things that I'd like to share with you, but you can't bear them. Kind of the ultimate insult, you know, really, you've been with me for three years. You've heard my teaching. You've gone on mission trips uh, with me. You've experienced the power of God in ways that no other human has ever experienced. By being in my presence, I've poured my life into you. And yet here we are at this juncture three years into my ministry, and and you're about to go through this valley. and, And frankly, I can't even prepare you for it until you've gone through the valley and you have retrospect later on. And, and what Jesus is essentially saying, I think that is, is applicable to us, is that there will be times in our lives, whether sooner or later, where you and I do not understand what God is doing. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been there? If you haven't and you're a believer and a follower in Christ, you will be. Do not be, do not be dismayed by those times where it seems like the absence and the power of God is overwhelming. I mean, his absence and seemingly his lack of power. Because the disciples are about to descend into the valley of the trial of Jesus, the unjust trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, and it was a time of darkness. You've got to remember that unlike most of us, they had invested everything. They left their families, which was difficult because your family was your source of support. I mean, everything came from the family. You usually took whatever your parents did in life. Normally, you would have done the same thing. Whatever properties your parents owned, that would have been properties that you would have inherited. And so the disciples had made this decision to walk away from that. And as they went forward, increasingly, you know, at the beginning, Jesus got a lot of good press. When you do miracles and you actually raise the dead, that happens. But later on, as he began to confront with the ecclesiastical powers that existed during his day, there was a power struggle and persecution began. So the disciples had stayed the course. There were times when other times in the text, in the scriptures, where Jesus had said difficult things and the disciples had had to make a decision. Do we go back to our former lives... Or do we continue in following Jesus when we don't understand what he's doing? So this dilemma that had been, you know, had arisen from time to time, now all of a sudden is becoming dramatically real to them. I was thinking this morning uh, as we sang these songs, uh, sometimes I can really feel the songs that we sing. But essentially, if we had to kind of put this in musical terms, there, there will become a time that you will need to sing the song and you will feel nothing. You won't feel faith stirring. You won't feel the love of God. You won't feel the joy of God. You won't be experiencing the pure power of God. You will sing the songs because you believe, not but because you feel. And this is the valley that the disciples, everything is going to be thrown momentarily. This is the last dialogue that Jesus has with the disciples. And after the prayer next week, what we see is the darkness of the crucifixion for the disciples. So to begin with, I I want to tell you that Jesus encourages us, the scripture encourages us that those times do come. Do not be dismayed when those times come. Unexplained tragedies and suffering alongside with miracles and joy are part of following Jesus. As many miracles as you'll experience, you'll experience tragedies, tragedies. As many people as I have seen God touch and miraculously heal, and I have seen many, I have seen good people die. Without explanation, uh, I've got a good friend that he's a colleague, and he was a successful businessman in the aerospace industry, and he left it as a young guy in order to give everything up, to go overseas, to unreach people groups, to share the good news of the gospel. Him and his wife, you know, just two people really filled with faith. And, you know, if, if, if you know this guy, he, he kind of does, in my estimation, he does everything right. He exudes the joy and compassion of Christ. Now, sometimes I don't like people like that because I think, you, you know, you were just born nice. And I'm not that way, but he, he, he is. He's just a, it, it, to know him, to meet him, is to like him. With Joe Dillon, it, not so much. And uh, so years later, he came back home. After serving him and his wife, and his wife was a brilliant author. She's authored a lot of books, devotional books, missionary story books. Uh, she's a great editor. She's had great, you know. She's done a lot in the kingdom of God. Uh, this guy's a great administrator of the missions organization that I work with, and uh, she was one of these ladies too. She was very healthy, very thin. She took care of herself. You know, very careful about what she ate and they ate and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, he's, he's, he's younger than I am. And, uh, you know, they were doing a lot for the Lord and just being blessed by the Lord. And she, she bought these, uh, products to clean her house because she's one of these people, you know, I, you know, tree hugger or whatever. She doesn't want chemicals in her house. You know, just, you know, one of those types, you might be one of those types, but she, she just, she likes natural things. She's more comfortable with natural things. And so, uh, she was cleaning the bathroom room morning with one of these natural cleaners. And uh, evidently, there was something in the cleaner that got into her lungs, and there was an immediate reaction. And she had an embolism, and instantly she was dead. Boom! Boom! Young, healthy If you were to look at this couple, you would say the favor of God is on them in everything they do. And in an instant, she was dead. Now, there's there's two ways to look at that. There's the preacher's way. And the preacher's way is to kind of say, you know, in that moment, she closed her eyes and she opened her eyes and she was face to face with the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. But there's a problem with that picture, isn't there? We've forgotten her husband, D-Ray. He was left with the love of his life and the woman he intended to grow old with being taken in a second from his life. In that moment... All that God was doing, all that God had done, all that it seemed like God was saying, came to a stop when D-Ray entered into that long valley of sorrow and grief. And I can tell you two years later, he's dealt with it in an extraordinary way. But it has been a valley of tears and grief, and God has carried him and walked with him. And God has used them in a powerful way, but it hasn't been an easy journey. And I just want to tell you that there is going to come a time for you in your life as a follower of Jesus where you will not understand what God is doing. And it's okay. I want you to hear me. It's okay. If Jesus knew his disciples, and he's he's warning them, and and look at the turmoil that it creates for the disciples, chapter sixteen, verse sixteen. A little while, and you will no longer see me again. A little while, and you will see me. So, Jesus is kind of speaking in an in, in a way that that is not clear. Now we know from history when Jesus. Usually did that, it was because it would have multiple applications that later on the disciples would understand, but at this moment they don't. Verse 17, therefore some of his disciples said to another, what the heck is he talking about? (laughs) What, What is this that he's telling us? In a little while you'll not see me, and again, in a little while you'll see me, and because I'm going to the Father, and they said, what is this that he's saying a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. I mean, they were generally perplexed after all this time with the words of Jesus. They could not understand what God was doing in that moment. And it's almost as if in verse 19, Jesus was setting them up. Because Jesus knew what they wanted to question him, and so he said to them. So Jesus knew this tension would arise. Jesus understood exactly this valley they were going into. Jesus understood the darkness that they would kind of grope through over the next few days through this experience. And so he's kind of, he's kind of doing something now that doesn't make sense in the moment, but later on uh, in the rearview mirror of life, and eternity it will. Jesus said to Jesus knew that they wanted to question him, and said to them, "Are you asking one another about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me again. A little while, and you will see me." And all of a sudden, Jesus goes into an illustration, an illustration that I, I've really grown to love. Look, look, if you would, look if you would. Well, let me just mention three things uh, in regard in regards to this. Um, when Jesus was probably talking about this little while, which we know means this time when he would be judged and then crucified, followed by the re- resurrection, as Jesus was preparing them for the crucifixion and the resurrection. He also was preparing them for something that would move from confusion that would be followed by clarity and giving of the Holy Spirit The disciples who didn't understand, once they were filled with God's Spirit, they were able to get up and speak well and correctly about what God had taught because of the work of the Spirit. Jesus is talking about the coming of the Spirit and what we do. And then the last would be frustration is followed by fulfillment. And Jesus is probably talking about the way that we would go through life watching television, looking at the wars and rumors of wars and all the bad things that happen in our universe, asking, where's God this and what the Bible tells us what the Apostle Paul tells us is that all of creation longs for his revelation or for his return in other words he's telling the disciples when it seems like your world is falling apart keep your eyes on King Jesus because he's coming back and when he comes back the suffering and all the dilemmas and all the violence and all the hatred will cease because the king of creation will rule over his earth So he's giving them hope. And sometimes, I know, I look at the war, we've got friends, we've got personnel in India going through the coronavirus. We've got people in Myanmar. We've got people in Syria where there's genocidal bloodshed, and my heart longs for something that's better. And Jesus said, look, Just as the crucifixion was followed by the resurrection, your dilemma will be followed by the clarity of the peace that God brings when he comes to rule earth. But then he gives this illustration. Look, if you would, at verse 20. I assure you, you will weep and wail, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. So the Romans and the Jewish leaders of that day, they could celebrate when Jesus was crucified. And the crucifixion, you know, was the end of all things for the disciples until Sunday morning. Now, folks, part of what Jesus is saying is it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming, right? In your life today, you may be in the valley of despair. It may be Friday. You may be questioning God. We all walk through those dark souls of the night, But Jesus says Sunday eventually always comes because in the providence of God, he's good and he works things out for our good. So he goes on and he says, look, your sorrow will turn to joy. And then here's the interesting illustration. When a woman in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So now you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will rob you of that joy. Now, isn't this an interesting illustration, the illustration of childbirth? Now, this, they lived in an agrarian society. Everybody would have seen birth all the time. It would have been a common occurrence. Uh, women didn't go into the hospital. I mean, you were lucky if you lived in a community where you had a midwife who kind of kind of understood maybe a little bit. And so, the, you know, the, essentially, you know, people would have been around in any case of childbirth. And uh, now my dad, uh, part of the World War II generation, <clears throat> when my mother had me, uh, she went back into the room where the ladies had their babies. And my dad sat out in the waiting room and watch, excuse me, and watch, leave it to Lucy or, you know, I love Lucy or whatever the show was and had a cup of coffee with the guys while mother was back in the back having the baby, me. And so after mother did her thing, uh, my dad was invited back and I was all cleaned up. Uh, Mom was all cleaned up. You know, she looked happy holding uh, her baby son and my dad thought, man, this is easy. And so, you know, I just assumed when I got married, it'd be the same way. And so we're in school, and my wife is praying with our first child, your pastor, Chris. And she comes home, and she says, I, I want you to take Lama's classes with me. And I've always wanted to learn how to dance. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Let's go to Lama's classes, learn how to dance. Well, I was sorely surprised <laughs> by her intention of what she wanted me to do. Uh, she intended for me, since I had some part in this pregnancy, uh, to be a participant in the birth of our children. And, you know, I'm a guy I played football. I can do it. I'm tough. And so we go, and the first class is is this video of a woman giving birth, and I'm sitting there going, I'm going to throw up. I, I, I feel faith. <laughs> You know, I don't know that I can do this, but, you know, my wife is, is, I want you to be with me. So, you know, you want to be there for your wife and love her, and so I learned how to be her coach. You know, it starts off easy enough. You know, she gets up in the middle of the night. She says, I I think this is it. You know, we go through that a couple of times. You know, Braxton Hicks, nothing happens. We finally end up to the hospital. You know, by that time, her back's killing her. You know, it's time. You know, you know it's just time to have the baby. And you get there and uh, we're we're going through our stuff and you know and and you know at first it's not a big deal I'm in her face you know doing all the breathing stuff <laughs> you know go girl go 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 You know a few hours into it I'm thinking you know I'm kind of tired <laughs> And I mean, we're not really into that place or time yet, but we get there, and first pregnancies, women know this, they tend to be longer than second and third pregnancies. And, and you know, I'm watching this little girl that, I, man, I, I love my wife. With everything that's in me. And she's little. And, and she, she's going, and I can see the pain on her face. And she's she's made a determination, for whatever reason. You know, I talked to her. I'm not going to get an epidural. I'm not going to take any pain medicine. I'm going to have this baby natural, you know. And I'm thinking, okay that's what you want to do you know that that that's fine I mean I don't have any concept of it and then all of a sudden I'm seeing my wife and it's like she is struggling with every ounce of her living fiber and she's got veins bulging in her neck that I've never seen before and she's holding my hands and I'm thinking she's gonna break my hand this woman is and she's blowing and we're going through this and and I'm just absolutely (laughs) exhausted and I'm praying oh god to Just let her ask for a pill. (laughs) Man, you you found respect for women. But then her baby is born. And in an instant, in an instant, she goes from the pain and the pressure of childbirth to the ecstatic joy of seeing the beauty and the complexity of a baby that God has formed in his own image in her hand. And this is exactly, when, when, when Jesus says, when you're, you're in that valley and you're in the darkness and you're scrambling with everything that you have in your heart and your soul, hold on, hold on. It may be midnight, but sunrise is coming. It may be Friday, but Sunday is coming. God will arrive. Brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the greatest deceptions of American Christianity is that somehow you can get from here to there and not face the suffering that the world faces. But it's not that God, our God, removes us from the suffering of the world. It is that our God goes with us through the suffering of the world. It is that our God empowers us through the suffering of the world. It is that our God, when we cannot go a step farther, it is our God who picks us up and gets us where we need to be. So Jesus, almost immediately in closing, begins to go back and talk about a subject he prayed about. And this is kind of some things I want to just share with you because it's one of my most difficult verses I've struggled with. Jesus said, I assure you, anything that you ask in my Father, in my name, ask the Father in my name, he will give you until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be complete. Now that's one of the precious promises of Scripture, but it's almost seems to be a lie. Last night when I went to bed, I asked God that when I woke up, there would be a Lamborghini in my garage with keys in it and you say you know that's just nonsensical but that's some of the prayers of america god won't bless what he can't bless god won't empower what is powerless god won't give glory to flesh when flesh deserves no glory And so I began to think as I began to pray and I began to study and I began to do research over these verses. What I found out is the the operative term in this is not the anything, it's in my name. And so I went back and I found out that the reality is just like my name has legal implications, that the name of Jesus in that context would have had legal implications too uh, in the court systems, in the judicial system of first century Palestine. And let me just kind of give you what really Jesus is saying and what he means by this. Number one is when he says, when you use my name, it needs to be based on relationship. So when my mother moved up here years ago, she was in declining health and struggling with dementia. And as time went on, it became obvious that she could not manage her finances any longer. And so we went to a lawyer and the lawyer gave me the power of eternity, attorney. Not eternity, but the power of attorney. I have no such power. And what it did was it put my name on her checking account. Now, it was her checking account, it wasn't mine. But it gave me the authority to spend out of her account, but only according to her name, only according to her will. But what was operative about it was that I was in a relationship with my mother that empowered me to do that. So the first thing we've got to notice is that when we pray in Jesus' name, it is implicit that it is not formulaic, but it is out of a relationship. Jesus invites us up into, or invites us into relationship. You know, at times I've heard people pay, pray in a public way. They would pray to God, just kind of a neutral entity, and then they would just say amen, and it would irritate me that they would not say in Jesus' name. But you know what? After reading and understanding this text, if you do not know Jesus, you have no authority to pray in the name of Jesus. Now, we can anyone from an atheist to a Christian. My dad, when he was in B-17s in World War II, he said they had an atheist that was a ball-turner, ball-turner, gunner. And he said when they would line up over the... Uh, ball-bearing plants in Germany to bomb those plants, Uh, you would watch the B-17 in front of you just vaporize as the aircraft uh, fire would hit it. And he said, this atheist at that point would begin to pray beautiful prayers. I mean, I think God hears our prayers, but the reality is, is what Jesus is doing is he's giving them the authority on the basis of relationship is to ask. The second characteristic is, is that it must be according to his will or it must be according to his character. It can't be for Lamborghinis. <laughs> I've tried. Uh, uh, I travel a lot. A few years ago, my wife got a phone call because uh, our our credit card company knows the character of my spending habits. And so they said, "Mrs. Dillon, is your husband in Miami uh, uh, buying lingerie at this shop right now?" And her response probably was, "He better not be." <laughs> uh, Fredericks of Hollywood, a thousand dollars bill on my credit card. Well, she knew I was somewhere else. And what essentially she was able to say is, and what they knew is that's not according to his character. That's suspicious. So when Jesus says anything, he doesn't give you the freedom to just, you know, willy-nilly throw up prayers, hoping that the God of the universe will bend his will to yours. He does give us access, free access, into the throne room and the power and the presence of God. But it's got to be according to the character of God. You know, when I pray, you know, like I do, you know, Chris and I, we've got Alabama roots. I'm sorry. Uh, And so we're Crimson Tide football fans. I'm sorry. Uh, And so, you know, when we play somebody like Notre Dame or Clemson, I'll find myself, oh, God, let us score a touchdown. In Jesus' name. And more times than not, we don't. I mean, the reality is that there's a million prayers that you and I can pray that just not are according. When, I, when somebody is my enemy, I'm mad at somebody or someone has wounded me, and I want vengeance, and I think God, let that which they did to me come back on them. What God says, no, you pray, pray a blessing on that person. So when the Scripture tells us to pray anything, it means praying according to the very character of what we see in the life of Jesus. And then the, the last thing in regards to prayer, before we get even in further into it, it means that, that we pray according to his bank account and not ours. <laughs> you see, if I write you a check, there's a good probability that it will bounce because I don't have much in my checking account. But in the name of Jesus, all the riches and glory and power and majesty of God has now been deposited to me and to you. We don't pray, we don't beat on our chest like the Pharisee and say, Oh God, aren't you glad you've got me on your side? I'm not like the rest of these sinners out sitting in the auditorium this morning. That's not Christian prayer as we go to Christ we go in humility and brokenness and we confess father I have no abilities I have no power I have no standing with the holy God but Jesus Jesus the one who was crucified and defeated death on our behalf it is in his name I pray you see when the disciples went to Jesus Said so we don't know how to pray. Jesus responded in Matthew five, nineteen by saying, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our, this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil." Essentially, he said, pray for God's will to be done. Pray for your needs. Pray for forgiveness and pray for the ability to forgive and pray for the protection from the enemy that stalks your soul. Prayer should be a priority for every Christian, and I'm afraid to say in our generation because of our prosperity and all the things that have divorced us from our need of God that we don't understand that the early Jesus prayed himself, the early church prayed. It was the only resource that the church had. It is our means to speak to God about the needs that we have every day. It is our means to ask for protection from the enemy. And it is our means to exchange the fears and anxieties that keep us awake at night with that peace that God promises to his children. It is the means by which the spirit of God gives us time, gives us direction in times of confusion. And it is at its basis, a conversation with the God who created you and loves you. And Jesus says, come freely into my presence. Then the last part of this text, I want you to look at beginning at verse 25. We'll real quickly go through this. I've spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. I think he's probably speaking about the work of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, which you and I have today, as well as that time when he'll come in the future. In that day you'll ask in my name. I am not telling you that I make requests to the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I've come from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. And again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. And I want you to see, I want you to see the self-confident response of the disciples in verse 29. Ah, now we got this, Jesus. Now we understand. His disciples said, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. All of a sudden, they go from confusion to claiming the mantle of, Jesus, we've got this. We understand this. Everything there is to know about the mysteries of God and your words, we now got it. I don't need to be taught anymore. I can go and be a teacher. Now, I love the response of Jesus. Jesus kind of looks out and goes, Really? Really? Look at verse 31. Jesus responded to them, Do you now believe? Yeah, faith like a rock. Bring the tidal waves of life. I am the I've got this. I, 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 I am steady as a rock. Jesus never perpetuates the foolish arrogance that's found in human hearts. Jesus never taught us to be self-reliant. Jesus never teaches us to be self-confident. Look at this passage. Look, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. You think you're bold in your faith, but there's a day coming, there's a moment coming when you all are going to turn and you're going to run and you're going to lock yourself in your inner bedroom and you are going to be scared to death because you cannot handle the darkness. But look at the rest of the passage. Look at verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. You know, self-confidence isn't necessarily a bad thing until it becomes arrogance. You know, I'm pretty self-confident that I can change a tire on a car. You know, Chris told you the story a couple of weeks ago about how he came home all pumped up from college with muscles and and uh, he couldn't get the bolts off his car and his in his his 45 year old i think he called me noodle arms <laughs> father took the tool out of his hand and got the tire off you know we in our generation they taught us about something called leverage but anyway <clears throat> <laughs> my dad was a great mechanic uh you know i remember him telling stories about you know the Anti-aircraft fire coming through and taking coat hangers and tying, you know, tying the plane back together. You know, trying to understand what was going on. You know, that generation we can't even understand what they went through. But he was a great mechanic. And as as my dad got older, <clears throat> he began to lose something that he always was self-confident in. I can remember uh, we were we were going over to my in-laws for Christmas lunch. And my dad had gotten up that 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 Christmas morning and the toilet was running. Well, my dad could fix a toilet blindfolded with his pinkies. I mean, it was nothing for him. And for six hours he sat on that toilet hugging it because of his the confusion in his mind. He could not fit he was at the point where he was he was screaming in frustration. Because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, in the darkness of the deterioration and decline of life, his confidence was removed from him. You're going to be there. You might be young and strong and smart, but there will be a time you will not be smart enough. You will not be fast enough. You will not be able to be able to jump high enough. You will not be able to reason your way out of this situation. There will be a time when the waves of life will overwhelm you. And the invitation of the God who created it all is come and rest and trust in my strength. The Bible tells us in the book of Psalms that God is a strong tower, and we run into it. Why do we run into a strong tower? It's because we're overwhelmed by the enemy. Being overwhelmed by the waves and darkness of life is not an indication of God's punishment on you. It is not an indication that you have lost your faith. It is an indication that like no other time in life, you must reach out to the God who can when you aren't able. Our God is a refuge. Our God is a tower. Our God is... Is mighty in our weakness. He understands when there's nothing but confusion and darkness and anxiety in our hearts. And through the relationship of the crucified Son of God and the power of His resurrection, He has now given you and I the victory to overcome the darkness that stalks humanity. Praise God. Praise the name of Jesus Christ who makes all the difference in life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, be not be dismayed. Times will come where you will not understand. (laughs) But your God will get you home. Your God will get you home. Let's pray. Father, according to your glory, according to your compassion, according to your mercy, I pray for my brothers and sisters, some who have been there, some who are there, and some who have no clue about what is yet to come help them relinquish the hope of self-sufficiency. Help them to give up self-sufficiency for the all-sufficiency of God. Father, help them to lay down their self-confidence for confidence in the one who can when we are unable. Father, as the winds rise and the darkness grows, Father, give them the peace that transcends the storm. Not not just so that we might experience that peace, but Father, so that the world where you've placed us might have hope that they might see your glory, that they might taste your goodness, Lord, that they might know that there's a God in heaven who reigns in the midst of the chaos on this planet. Oh God, give us hope that they might have hope. In our pain and suffering, we lift our hands and we worship because it's with our hands and our hearts upstretched that you rescue us. And Lord God, my Christ, and my Lord, and my Savior, we are in desperate need of rescue. In the beautiful, matchless, glorious name of the crucified shepherd, the God who rose from the dead, we place our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen.